thinking. Bow our heads in prayer for a moment. Uh, Father, uh, it is um, very easy, far easier for us to see sin in somebody else's life than it is to see sin in our own life. And Father, uh, we confess before you that most of the time we are not aware of the fact that we are doing this. Uh, we ask, Lord, that uh, as part of your grace to us, as, uh, as you make Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and who he is more real to our hearts, uh, that you would, Father, help us to change this, that you would help us to see the sin in our own lives and deal with it, rather than fretting and being angry and resentful over the sin in others' lives. So we ask, Lord, that you would do this work in our lives this morning. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. So, um, <laughs> this text that I had to read this week convicted me of sin. <laughs> I don't know if it'll convict you of sin, but it convicted me of a sin in my life that was unrecognized, and it's been unrecognized for about a year and a half. And um, uh, it was a bit of a shock to realize <laughs> that I, I was guilty of this sin. And I'm not going to go into all of the details of the sin, but I, the, the text is going to, uh, we'll see what it, what it does when you, we have a look at it together. Uh, but I want to begin by that word of testimony. It, 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 uh, and I thank you for those of you who pray for me throughout the week that I, I can preach God's word well. Uh, that Part of that preaching it, it well is that I also will be convicted by the scriptures. So thank you for praying for me. Uh, so let's look. What sin was it that... Uh, God convicted me of this week. Well, we're reading, we're preaching through the whole book of Mark, and we're getting towards the end. We're at Mark chapter 15, and if you would uh, turn to that, Mark chapter 15, verse 1, if you're using these little booklets, it's on page 96, and Mark is an ancient uh, eyewitness biography of Jesus, written while many eyewitnesses were alive, and uh, what's just happened before this in the, in the story uh, is that uh, we're still part of the 24 hours that changed the world uh, because Jewish days begin on sundown, uh, not midnight or not when we wake up, but it's sundown. And, uh, and so the very first day of Passover uh, began, uh, and this is now just before dawn, and we're still in the first day of the Passover celebrations. And what's just happened two episodes before this is uh, the Jewish leaders uh, have brought uh, Jesus to the high priest's house. And uh, one of the most profound statements of who Jesus is is made by Jesus' enemy, uh, where the enemy uh, says to Jesus, aren't you the Messiah, the God's God, the Son of God? And that's a, a, the most profound, precise description of Jesus in the Gospels, made by his enemy. And Jesus says that's true. And that's just happened. And now we've moved to a slightly different part of this. Then after that, we have Peter's denial of Jesus three times. And now we come to this story before us. And here is how it goes. Uh, and as soon, verse 1, And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Now, just sort of uh, pause here. If you're not that familiar with the Bible, uh, Pilate is the Roman governor of this region. He has the power of life and death. He has uh, the, he in a sense rules as the emperor's uh, representative and is in charge of the armies as well uh, that subjugate the Jewish people. And uh, this is not an unusual time for this to happen. 
Uh, just to give you fair warning, your, my wife and kids will tell you I am not an early riser. Uh, I aspire to be an early riser, but I rarely reach what I aspire. And if you came around an hour before sunrise to have me talk to you, I would be grumpy. Um, I would try to cover it, but it would make me grumpy because I wish I was still in bed. But for Roman uh, men of this rank in those days, uh, you began the day just as it's starting, the sky's getting a little bit light. That's when you begin your day. You get everything done by noon, and then you, I don't know, you read poetry, you drink wine, you feast, you... I don't know. You do whatever a Roman gentleman can do. That's, that's how your days were structured. So this is a, not an unusual time. And uh, the, 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 the Jewish leaders uh, needed and wanted Pilate to sentence Jesus to death. And, uh, and so that's why they've brought him there. Because, and, and, and so the, what the charge is actually is, is very, very interesting and uh, some of you might have heard his odd answer, and I'll explain it to it. Let, let's look what happens next, verse 2. And Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? So to the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders have given the charge. They said, Pilate, you need to condemn this man. He, uh, he claims to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate then in verse 2 asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, you have said so. And um, so what's happened here is uh, the Roman authorities don't give a hat, don't give, they don't care the least whether or not, I mean, Jewish religion is just a superstitious fable that for some odd reason is tolerated by the Roman Empire. In fact, it's only tolerated by the Roman Empire because it's ancient and Romans loved old things. And so because the Jewish people could say their faith goes way back uh, over a thousand years, 1,400, 2,000 years, the Romans gave it lots of space because they respected that. But they wouldn't believe for a moment their, their odd superstitions. And if, if they were said, you know, by the way, just Jesus claims to be the Messiah, God, the Son of God, Pilate would have yawned. So what happened is they translate the Messiah part into a different title that will have to get Pilate's attention, which is the king of the Jewish people. And so um, Pilate hears the charge. He asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus' answer, uh, it's, um, it's literally translated, but what it functionally means is this. It's really like Jesus saying, well, I wouldn't put it in those terms, but yes. That's what Jesus says. I wouldn't put it in those terms, but yes. He's not going to get into a bit of a quibble. He's not going to take out his Old Testament and show Pilate from the Bible, all the Bible texts and all of the theology of what it means to be the Messiah. He says, well, I wouldn't use that descriptive term, but yes, that's, that's what, in effect, uh, Jesus does. Now, um, the next bit seems a bit odd to us, and that's because of the great cultural distance between Canada and this time period although it's not a great cultural distance in many, many, many parts of the world, in fact, most of the world. Uh, I think a couple of weeks ago I was sharing how, when I was still part of the Diocese of Ottawa, uh, I got called into the bishop to see the Bishop of Ottawa on a Saturday afternoon to be fired. And um, I was needlessly, not needlessly, I was obviously very worried about this, and I'd asked lots of people to pray about it. And one of the people who gave me some last-second advice was a lawyer, and she said to me, when you go into this meeting, first of all, she said, you know, foil them by not going alone, but bringing a couple of people, and, and I did. Uh, but the main piece of advice, she said, George, just remember, they have to prove you're guilty. 
you don't have to prove you're innocent. So what you do if you're in there, you just say the same thing over and over and over again. They make this say, they, George, you've done blah, 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 blah. You just answer, I am, uh, I am a priest of the Anglican Church of Canada who is faithful to his ordination vows. And then they could say, blah, 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 you know, why you're a terrible, evil person. And my response is, I am a priest of the Anglican Church of Canada who is faithful to my ordination vows. And they have to prove that what you've just said isn't true. You don't have to prove that you're not guilty of those offenses. And, of course, in Canadian law, you, you don't have to, to testify at your own trial. The Crown has to give sufficient evidence of your guilt, and you don't have to prove your innocence. They have to prove your guilt. But it's the complete opposite here at this time period, just as it is for most of the world in, in, in the world today. And, and so that explains what happens next, which is very odd and, and, uh, and Pilate's amazement. Look at what happens next. Verse 3, And the chief priests accused Jesus of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. You see, in those days, he had to prove his innocence. And, uh, and they're successful. Uh, what you see between verses 5 and 6, in a sense, it leaves a bit out, uh, but it's obvious from the context, is that they're successful. Between verses 5 and 6, Pilate has come to the conclusion that there's grounds for the capital offense of, against Jesus, uh, that he is king of the Jews. At least there is until there's more evidence or something else happens, but he's guilty. And now it's going to be a matter of, uh, of having some type of, uh, of sentence. But here we come to something in the story which is deeply human. But maybe just for a couple of us. How many of us occasionally like to do something just to piss a person off? I might be the only person in the room who's like that. But you all might know somebody who just occasionally does something, or maybe, you know the phrase, yank someone's chain? You do something to yank their chain, to get a reaction, right? To get them all hot and bothered. And that's what happens next uh, in the story. Pilate yanks the chief priest's chain. Look, look what happens uh, in, in verse, uh, in verse 6. Now, at the feast, that's the Passover feast. They're still in the first day of the Passover feast. At the feast, Pilate used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want, to want me to release for you the king of the Jews? So just a couple of things. So here's the thing. So first of all, some of you, if you're using different Bible translations, you see a different word uh, there than rebel. You might see the word robber. And as I've explained before at different times, and those of you who speak multiple languages, when you speak multiple languages, you know that sometimes there's no perfect translation from one word, from one language to another. And in a book like this, they can't put all of the different options. Like if you were translating for somebody... Uh, on the fly, uh, you could do that. Uh, but when you're just writing, you can't. And so it's, it, it, it could be robber, it could be rebel. Uh, but the point is this. The chief priest would have hated both robbers and rebels. Why? Well, it's a little bit like Robin Hood. 
And uh, Robin Hood, the story, you know, he robs from the rich to give to the poor. Now, unlike Robin Hood, Barabbas would have robbed from the rich, kept most of it himself, and given some to the poor. Now, who are rich? All the people who've accused Jesus. They loathed guys like Barabbas. They were all probably throwing a party, saying, good, I'm so glad Barabbas and a couple of his buddies, they're going to be, they're getting executed. They won't be robbing us anymore. <laughs> and so then, what does Pilate do? Pilate says, well, I'm going to give you guys two options. And the options are you can let Barabbas free and you let Jesus free, but the chief priests hated both of them. See, Pilate has a bit of a smirk. He's pulling their chain. He's um, trying to both piss off. Am I allowed to say that in church? That's just, I just did. Anyway, it's an English phrase. You all know what it means. Uh, it's a, a metaphor. And, um, uh, and, and you, he wants to do that. I mean, also, as we're going to see in the story, he wants to curry favor with the crowd. And, and in fact, that's the whole thing about why he's going to release uh, somebody uh, like uh, Jesus to the crowd. Now, some of you might be familiar with the fact that there's this big controversy around this because uh, lots of skeptics say that there's no record that uh, Pilate ever did something like that. Now, just I want to translate that for you. If, if I was to say that something happened 10 years ago on Parliament Hill. I, I have people here in the room who were working on Parliament Hill 10 years ago. <laughs> and, and, and lots of people here know how Parliament Hill works. And if I was to say something like that, there's literally hundreds and hundreds and probably thousands of people who could tell you how Parliament Hill works and what I just said was nonsense. How many sources do we have for what happened at this time period with Pilate outside of the Gospels. Well, it's actually not zero, but it's just one, Josephus. Uh, there's another small, uh, a little bit by a Roman historian uh, that talks about some of these types of things. But the fact of the matter is, is that Josephus didn't write about every single thing that Pilate did. Like, it's a foolish type of, of, uh, of charge to say that unless Pilate, unless Josephus talked about it, it didn't happen. Well, that's like a ridiculous thing to say. And, and the other thing about it is, what Pilate does here is as ancient as the hills and as contemporary to today. Would any of us be surprised if we heard that Putin had pardoned one of his allies? No. And I'm not being political here. What do we all know Biden is going to do in the last week in office? He is going to pardon his cronies. And I'm not being political. If... Uh, uh, Ron DeSantis becomes president afterwards. He's going to do it when he comes to an end of his office as well. If AOC becomes the next president, she'll do it. It's as modern as the contemporary world, and it's as ancient as the hills, that people in power do things like this. And it's a very simple type of thing. It's no skin off of Pilate's nose, and it makes him look, it makes him look generous. And, 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 and full of, yeah, just generosity that the city of uh, Jerusalem has, you know what, five, eight, ten times more people than usual. He does it at this time, and he can sort of feel good about himself. It's good PR, and it's, it's just, it's a completely and utterly believable type of thing that, uh, that, that, that Pilate says he foils what the Jewish leaders want. He gives them heart palpitations. They're now sweating from their armpits and all those other parts that can sweat, 
Uh, first of all, they are really bothered that Pilate's made that offer, those two people, and they're worried that Jesus is going to go free. But the fact of the matter is they want Barabbas dead more than they want Jesus dead. And by the way, there's one other very important thing, just not important, but it's an important thing for you to know about. Barabbas literally means son of the father. That's what it means literally, son of the father. And it is, uh, it is one of those ironies of history that the choice between the crowd was between two sons of the father. One son of the father who is a murderer and the other son of the father who is the creator of all things, who is the source of life. Now, um, so there's another thing, if you're familiar with the literature on these texts. On one hand, there's lots of controversy about, from skeptics, that this is just invented which I think is sort of a ridiculous comment. Um, And then the next thing is that people spend pages and pages and pages in commentaries arguing over who's responsible for the death of Jesus. And one of the reasons there is this controversy is because there is um, an evil stain on much of the history of Christendom. And that evil stain, not on Christianity, but on Christendom, that ugly stain, is anti-Semitism. Throughout the history of Christendom, there have been people who've called themselves Christians who hate Jewish people and want to see Jewish people hurt and killed and robbed. And it is a terrible stain on Christendom's history. And so because of this profound, uh, because of this uh, legacy for parts of Christendom, there's a big debate about whether or not the Jews are responsible for the death of Jesus. Now, the text is going to show us that that is false. I'm not saying that it's false just because I don't want to have anti-Semitism. The Bible itself actually shows that it's not anti-Semitism. And just a bit of a, a, a time out, those of us who've experienced prejudice those of us who've experienced prejudice in in any form, what we know, or what we should know, is that when a person is prejudiced against you, they look for evidence to justify their prejudice and hatred. If you uh, have a a prejudice against a particular people group and and you see them doing something odd, you, you say to your friends who share your prejudice, Look at that person. That's what they all do. (laughs) But if one of your friends does it, you say, oh, that's just Joe. (laughs) But we look for evidence for our prejudices, to feed our prejudices. And so those who have an evil hatred of Jewish people look for reasons in the text. They don't want to listen to the text. They want superficial reasons, and so they look at this, and so now, even today, there's lots of writing about whether or not who's responsible. But the Bible itself says who's responsible, and this is actually where I was convicted of sin. In a sense, the text says I was responsible for the death of Jesus. Look at it in verse 10. It's a verse, if you're going to memorize something from this text, verse 10 would be the verse to memorize. For Pilate perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered Jesus up. I'll say it again. 
For Pilate perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered Jesus up. So it doesn't say, for Pilate perceived that uh, it was because they were Jewish <laughs> that they delivered them up. Uh, if that was the case, then you know maybe there'd be something to it. But it says, for envy. Now, if you could put up um, the, the first point uh, and leave it up for a moment. Uh, envy is sorrow or sadness or resentment at seeing someone else enjoying a good or some other enjoying a good. Envy is experiencing sorrow or sadness or resentment at seeing someone enjoying something which is good. Now, the older Christians, if you go back in Christian history, there's been a a long-established series of books and meditations around something called the seven deadly sins. And they've, they've been developed to help Christians examine their conscience, to look at their lives, to try to see whether there's things in their lives that are wrong. And, uh, and the ancients usually uh, ranked the seven deadly sins in order from the most deadly to the least deadly. And the most deadly is pride, and the least deadly is lust. Now, if some of you are saying, oh, lust is the least deadly of the sins, well, it, the word least is there, but the word deadly is still there. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you might say that this, 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 you know, this snake will kill you within one second when it bites you, and this one will kill you five minutes after it kills you, uh, after it bites you, but both of the, the different snakes will both kill you. But one will just kill you in a second, one in, in five minutes. Actually, I don't know if there's any snakes that do either of that, but that's a whole other... This isn't a lesson on snakes, it's a lesson on envy. And, but believe it or not, envy is the second most deadly of the seven deadly sins. This experiencing of sorrow or sadness or resentment at seeing someone other enjoying a good. Part of the reason the sins are a deadly is because they're unrecognized. So one of the things that I was convicted of this week is that for at least a year and a half, I've been guilty of the sin of envy. And I was very self-righteous about my sin, which is often how we deal with the sin of envy. I wouldn't have said that what I was doing was uh, the sin of envy. I would have said that I was giving insight into the situation. That I had the, the right explanation for the situation. But the fact of the matter is, it was the sin of envy. There was another or a group having a good thing, and seeing that good thing made me resent them, made me sad, made me unhappy. Envy is unrecognized, and part of envy is that it leads you to want the others to know disaster, that you're actually going to be really happy if it all blows up on them, if you discover that it's revealed uh, that there's something really bad, it causes joy. Those of you who follow controversies in the church world, uh, when either properly or improperly, somebody who's a a, a high-ranking Christian falls, and the Twitterverse and the Facebookverse goes crazy, that's the sin of envy. 
Look at that Matt Chandler. <laughs> That's what they're saying. We always knew he was bad. We always knew that, whatever, pick your, pick your person. We want others to fall. It leads to hatred. It um, leads you to feel dissatisfied with your own life. It leads you to say things like, I'm just as good as that person. But nobody who ever says that feels pleasure from that statement. It's fueled by your envy of them. And I'm going to suggest, I mean, I made a bit of a, of a not a risky thing, but of a, you know, the, before the service began. Um, almost every single one of us in this room is regularly guilty of envy because you look at social media. And how many of you look at social media and after looking at it for a while feel discontented and unhappy? And if you do, it's because you are experiencing the sin of envy. And you don't recognize it. And you come away from watching Facebook or Instagram and your own wife or husband seems inadequate. Your family isn't as good as it should be. Your life sucks. And whether you're completely aware of it or not, you also don't really, you sort of wouldn't mind if you end up hearing through the gossip thing that that other person, their life got turned into a big mess. And, and even to make it worse, we engage in Instagram and Facebook to create envy in others, to cause them to sin. Now, not everything exactly is done that way. I'm, I don't want to make it that all Christians should flee social media, but, and not every single thing you do is like that. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I, I think we need to take it seriously that it creates within us discontentment with our lives, and not in a way that helps us, but only in a way that makes us, that hurts us. So it's envy, not Jewishness, that led to the death of Jesus. You know, in a sense, envy is the great human sin along with pride. It wasn't just that human beings, Adam and Eve, wanted to be like God. But they, in a sense, envied God, his position. And they would like his position. They didn't mind if he fell. You know, I I didn't put it up as a point, but... Most Canadians will say, most very, very good Canadians will say, you've got to look out for number one. And in a sense, what the Bible says is that's actually really true. You've got to look out for number one. But the bad news is, you're not number one. <laughs> the bad news is the triune God is number one. And for most Canadians, they'd say, well, that sucks big time. And they'd resent it. The fact of the matter is, you know, there's a very profound statement by Augustine that says God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless till they rest in him. And that's, that is the most, one of the most profound statements made outside of the Bible that explains human psychology. God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless till we rest in him. 
And that means that God has made human beings so that there's a throne in each of our lives. And when we cast off God, we thought we would step onto the throne of our own lives. But the fact of the matter is, is that God did not design human beings to sit on the throne of their own life. And so what happened is we cast God from the throne, but instead what happens is idols sit on the throne, sin that sits on the throne. In some cases, demons sit on the throne. And they all push and pull each other, one sin after another, one idol after another, and our hearts are unbelievably restless, and we keep thinking that we can climb onto the throne of our own lives, but all we do is replace one idol with another or put, try to put six different idols all on the throne of our life at the same time in four different sins. And then we wonder why our lives have periods of great discontent. So what, what can be done, and does the, the Bible have any type of remedy for this? Well, actually it does, and it, it does in the guise of something that at first seems to illustrate why the gospel is foolish. Look at, look at what happens immediately after in verse 11. So Pilate has found Jesus guilty, even though he knows he's innocent. His statements here, no, he knows he's innocent, but um, Pilate isn't motivated by justice. And he's not motivated by love. Pilate is motivated by making himself look good and furthering his power. It's a very profoundly human situation that we might say that we're looking for justice, but really what we're doing is looking to, to, to further and cement our own position. And so in verse 11, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate released for them Barabbas instead of Jesus. Verse 12, and Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why, what evil has Jesus done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. And so Pilate said, well, Jesus is innocent. I'm going to let Barabbas get killed. No, that's not what happens. Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, that's, um, you have leather whips, and embedded in the end of the whips are pieces of bone or pieces of, of lead or pieces of glass. And uh, Josephus records that um, cases of people being scourged, and they, often people are scourged, die from being scourged. They, they don't, can't be crucified because they die. And it wasn't unusual for the Romans to scourge a person. They, they would tie your hands up above your head so your body's completely defenseless. And, um, and they would scourge you until the bone could be seen through the skin and through the muscle and through the, everything until your bones could be seen. And they scourged, uh, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered Jesus to be crucified. Now, some people would say, George, this... Um, this shows the problem with the gospel, right? Because, you, you know, on one hand, if you look at this, there is something of the gospel in this text. Uh, Jesus dies in Pilate's, in Barabbas' place, and Barabbas goes free. In fact, you could even imagine a, a dialogue, uh, an internal dialogue with Pilate as he's uh, walking outside. He's talked privately inside with uh, the chief priest. He's heard the accusations. Jesus has been silent, and he's thinking through. And maybe even one of the things he's thinking through is he's thinking, 
you know, dang it all, I, I, got, I went to the bother of having the lads make three crosses. And it would be a shame to have to try to find a fourth. And it would be a shame to put one of them to waste. The lads might be a bit upset that I had them do some work. And I let, and it all just had to, to go for naught. It was a hot day. I had lots of bother. So I'm going to pick one guy and another guy and the result of my thing, which I'm going to do in a few moments, is that cross will not go to waste. Somebody will die on that cross. <laughs> I don't want to have the bother of making a fourth, and I don't want to waste the third. So in some ways, the story is, you know, people would say, George, I mean, aren't you saying the story of Pilate and Jesus is unjust? So how is it just that you say that Jesus died for our sins? And and, and George, doesn't it just seem unjust as even if you say that, well, Pilate, Jesus dies on the cross instead of Pilate, but, I mean, instead of Barabbas, but Barabbas goes free and just does more evil. And those are the reasons why the cross makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And we as Christians would have to say, yeah, but that's not what's going on here in the story. You, you do get a pointer to the cross, but the differences are, are matter a lot. If you could put up the second point, Claire, that would be very handy. I see what Christians would say is that love triumphs over justice, not by canceling justice, but by satisfying justice and going beyond it. So the, 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 the death of Jesus is unjust, but what happens in the death, and, and, and in a sense, all of the human beings, and they desired harm to come to Jesus, but God used our desire to harm Jesus to bring good, good for us. That in the cross, you see the profound love of Jesus, a profound particular love for human beings, for each one of us who puts our faith and trust in him. And, and Pilate just autocratically chose this. But we know the deeper lesson that three times before this, Jesus has prophesied that he was going to die on the cross. Two of those times he prophesied, two, three times that he was dying, two of them specifically that he would die on the cross. And so what's happening is that it's only Jesus' love that holds him to the cross. And it's, 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 a, it's a love offer. Well, it's, it's something like this. My, my wife is present. I was going to use this as an analogy about me, but then I, I thought it would make it look like I'm trying to be very virtuous. So I'll, I'll use my wife as an example, but it's not a bad example, dear. <laughs> Imagine for a moment there's a, they, like in a, a horror, horrible future that scientists figure out a way that they can hook a person up to a machine and there's a transfer of the, of the blood and of the fluids and everything from one body to another. But what happens, it's, it's designed, you know, maybe it's designed in an evil autocratic country like, uh, like many of them that we know in the world, and we hear about it in the West later on. And what they do is they take a completely healthy, innocent person, they hook them up to a, to a rich or powerful person who has a terrible disease. And when they hook the two people up and they, they, they move the, the fluids and everything through the two of them, all of the things which are causing the death of the one, of the rich, powerful person, are transferred to the healthy person and the health of the healthy person is transferred to the rich person. And at the end of it, the rich person walks away in the full health of the, health of the healthy person, but the, the poor one who's forced to do this by an evil government 
has now the cancer or whatever illness it is, the host of illnesses that's, that was killing, that's now in that person. Uh, but then we realized that maybe that technology could be of use in North America, but how could it ever be used without creating huge injustice? Well, let's say my granddaughter, one of my granddaughters, let's say Bria or Sophie, were the ones who were sick and were going to die. And there's the conversation amongst the family as to whether one person who might be a match would go in that machine so that the thing which is killing the young six-year-old or the 14-year-old go, would go into the healthy one and the health of the healthy one would go into the sick one. And it turns out that maybe Bria's mother or Sophie's mother would be a match. But it also turns out that my wife would be a match. And I think my wife would take that. be very sad. There'd be tears. But I think she would hook herself up to that machine so her aunt, granddaughter would have her health. And so whether it's Lizzie or whether it's Victoria, they could see their daughter grow up and maybe see a granddaughter themselves someday. That's what's happening on the cross. There is no one a better match for you or closer to you than the creator and sustainer of all things, than God, the Son of God. And God, the Son of God, takes your place on that cross. The health in him goes to you, and the sickness and death and illness in us go to him. And he does it not because it's imposed upon him, but he, in a sense, looks you and me in the eye and says, I am willing to do that for you because I love you. I am willing to do that for you because I love you. And you know the thing about love? The thing about love, and we all know this, is that when we love, whether it's just friendship or the love of a of a, of a of a mother for her daughter, or a friend for a friend, or a husband and a wife. It's as if they come into you in some way. There's a place for them. That's why we get so sorrowful when they die. It feels as if part of us is gone. And you see, love is the big difference between what happens. To, I mean, on one hand, it does have a bit of an inkling. The guilty goes and, the, the, and Jesus dies, but it's, it's not that. It's, it's love that explains what Jesus is doing. It's love that keeps him to the cross. It's love looking at you. And, and, and we feel the other person in our lives in a small way, but in Jesus it actually is a real thing because he's the creator and sustainer of all things, and he comes within us. And we now have his love within us. The Bible describes it as being born again, born from above. And, 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 then, it, and then what is different is that as what Jesus has done for you grips you, as it becomes more present to your heart at deeper parts of who you are, that that's what he has done for you, that becomes, in a sense, a story, an image of how you are to live. And it becomes, the, it becomes something that pushes you into looking at new ways of living. It pulls you and draws you into new ways of living. And it pulls you and draws you to do the opposite of envy. Because in envy, we feel sorrow that another person has a good 
that we desire to have, but love is being willing to sacrifice for the other to know true good. There is no true solution to envy other than love. And that is what we see in the story before us. That is what grips us. And it's in the security of his love that I can come to realize that I was guilty of the sin of envy and I need to pray against it. I need to repent of it. I invite you to stand. I invite you to bow your heads in prayer. Father, for some, some of us uh, here or watching for the first time, it's really struck us what Christ has done for us in the cross. And, and Father, I ask that you would bring that truth hope, home to them, that they, they might truly know that Jesus in a, in a way of saving faith. And for others, it's just been brought home to us anew in, a, in yet another way. And, and we ask, Lord, that you bring the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and his great love for us. Uh, in, into, our, into our hearts more and more, more and more deeply, that it would be the, become more and more deeply the ground of, that we stand on, that that which pushes us and pulls us and draws us and shapes us and forms us. And Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would do that wonderful, gentle, needed work in each one of our lives. And not just us as individuals, but for us as a congregation, Father, that we would be marked not by envy, but by love and generosity and a, and a love for the, the, our city and, and a love for people groups that still need to hear the gospel here in Ottawa and to the ends of the earth, that, that Father, the, the, the gospel would not just shape us as individuals, but us as a church, that we would be a gospel, gospel-shaped people and a gospel-shaped church for your glory. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior. Amen.